Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Boss Matt. How are you? Pretty, pretty good. I see we're both a little bit bundled up. Thought maybe jinxed ourselves by declaring the winter over here in Austin, Texas. A couple more weeks of it, but uh, hopefully we'll be back on the bikes here soon. Biggest swing in uh, Texas history, I believe. It was like uh, 85 down to 25 Fahrenheit, something like that. A couple days ago, t-shirts, sandals, and now uh, beanies again. It has been interesting to see certain folks as COVID's ending globally, slowly head back to the digital nomad lifestyle. But I think Austin has some stickiness. A lot of us will be staying in town and enjoying those regular meetups we have with uh, close friends that are in the entrepreneurial community here in Austin, Texas. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, that little trend plays out. Speaking of digital nomad travels, I mean, you are hosting an event in Playa del Carmen Mexico, April 5th, 6th, and 7th. Looks like we'll have over 100 listeners of this show in Playa del Carmen. Really looking forward to some sunshine, some pool loungers, and some beach views. Ian, one of my favorite parts about running this show is following along on people's journeys as they happen. So not always having guests on the TMBA pod that have just figured it out and have like these declarations like with three years of hindsight saying, you know, I knew what I was doing. Here's what I did. Faithfully executed the strategy. And now I have successfully (laughs) come back to the TMBA show. A lot of what we're talking about here is this behind the scenes stuff. And we're sort of the main offenders. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the magic behind this show in a lot of ways, Dan, is like catching people in the act and not afterwards, you know, where you can like reflect and make up stories about uh, the way that you you interpret it went versus it's actually going. So yeah. uh, so I feel like that's one of the things that we've been mildly successful with over the last couple of years. But yeah, catching ourselves, making sure that we're in check too, that's always a challenge. So today's guest is another co-offender, somebody in the process of already had uh, uh, some amazing successes, but pushing for more and building a better business. So a wonderful conversation today. But first, I just wanted to flag up something that we've encountered. In fact, me and you attended a coaching session yesterday. Said genius will be on the show in the few weeks. But I wanted to talk about like some of the things that we're flagging up as challenges as we go about building a new business. One of the things that we've observed over the decade running this show is something you know we've called the thousand day principle which is an idea around you know these 3 years that you use to replace your professional income with the business that you own you know what happens in those 3 years and there's this weird stew of entrepreneurial magic like sometimes it's necessity there's a reason why a lot of immigrants start businesses because they can't just plug themselves into mainstream society and make a high salary and so they have to find an alternative way for a lot of it's it's simply we have a strong skill set from our career we have ambition we have a desire to live abroad or in strange places that don't give you high salaries even if that's a secondary city to be with a partner Often there's just this weird witch's brew of motivations that drive us to be entrepreneurs. And the reality is if you have enough skill 
If you have enough work ethic and ambition, you're going to be able to go out there, listen to pods like this, apply your knowledge, and replace that professional income with the business that you own. Obviously, most people that want to do that won't. There's another sticking point you know, we've identified over the years and one that we're entering again and call it the mid-seven-figure slump or stall out. But a lot of founders on the TMBA podcast get to one, two, three, four million dollars in revenue and really stall out. They get bored, they exit their businesses, or they don't have the skill set to transition into an eight-figure entrepreneur. And I feel like that's we've shared with you guys that's our personal challenges with our previous business on this podcast. And as we re-enter the swamp of the mid-seven figures, Ian, we want to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes again that we made in the past. It's interesting because like for me, at least, because we kind of were there and like the conversations that we had when we arrived in that moment and decided to sell our business and somewhat regrettable decision in a lot of ways. But you know, we had all kinds of objections in, in terms of like why we didn't feel like we could make it to eight figures and the things that we were going to have to do. And I don't want to do this and that's not fun and let's just do something else. And I think these conversations happen for a lot of people. What I find most interesting is like about that is it's kind of a timeless problem. So it happened to us many years ago and it could happen again in the same way. It's like the the problems, you don't really escape them over time. Like technology doesn't really solve them for you. It's almost like a mindset issue, I think, at the core of it. This is like, you know, instead of uh, having to go to the trade shows in our case, which we didn't want to do for the next five years, it's like hire somebody to go to the trade shows. Instead of not wanting to manage the same business that you've managed for seven years, it's like hire somebody to manage the same business. So hopefully, Dan, we have a lot more tools, knowledge, experience. I hesitate to say wisdom, but we've seen more of it. This isn't necessarily a problem that technology solves. Which or software solves, which is the case with a lot of problems these days. So I do think it's like one of these things that will just continue to come up for entrepreneurs. And I think the other thing that has changed for me is just having a little bit more understanding of like what a financial instrument is and how it can behave and how it can benefit you. Back in like our 20s, you know, you say the word financial instrument. I don't even know what that meant. Like, is it a credit card? Is it a, a savings account? Like it's an asset. What's an asset? Like none of these things like really made that much sense to me. So selling a financial instrument back then, looking back on it because of the reasons that we sold it, it seems a bit immature to me, but there was like real emotional reasons why we did it. So I think helping entrepreneurs to understand what they have built, because if you have a mid seven figure business, like you've built something pretty amazing. And like, there's a lot of people trying to do what you've done and they're willing to take it off your hand. Yeah. Which is exactly, you know, what we succumb to. People who are interested in financial instruments know this fact and that's why we exited. That's why it was relatively easy to sell and that we wrote a book about it and had our regrets and moved on. Maybe I can flag up something about this that is a metaphor we've used over the years. And I don't want to give away our advisors advice. We're going to have them on the show in a few weeks, but I want to Often when something's true, you see echoes of it time and time again. You see it in so many books, like Vern Harnish's books, about this transition from player to coach, that the founder is often this juggernaut of an individual who's created wakes in the universe and ultimately fails to be able to replace themselves. 
they don't want to retire and go up to the booth or go to the sideline. They want to play one more season for the expansion team and get injured, right? Like <laughs> that's like what the player wants to do. Over the years, I've said these lifestyle businesses, Ian, they're like an Iron Man suit, right? At first, you're this person who got rid of their job and then you had this skill set and then all of a sudden you made money and then you started hiring people and they were like this army of assistants and facilitators that executed your vision out in the world and they were and your business was like an iron man suit. Well, this is really a metaphor of a player, of a hero, right? And I think what I'm hearing from advisors and seeing in books and things is that there is this transition in the mid seven figures that you have to ask yourself, are you willing to be more coach than player? Are you willing to have simple ideas that are consistently executed by a large group of talented people and not just getting into the mess every single day and trying to push the ball forward? And I think that's a really difficult transition when it's precisely that that changed so many of our lives. Yeah. And it's not to say that you necessarily have to be a coach. There's ways around that. Hiring people that can manage other people while you continue to do your thing, like work on product or uh, design or marketing or whatever it was that got you into that business in the first place. But understanding that those are options, it's certainly hard for people to understand. So we're going to circle back to our journey next week, but very relevant and appropriate to this conversation. Today, we're reconnecting with someone who we last spoke with in May 2020 at a very strange time when many of us were trapped in our homes, in my case, your RV, Ian. Thank you. Shout out to Boss Man for the free rent. Now, at the time, this guest was just recovering from COVID. He was an early adopter, so to speak, and his agency had also taken a huge knock, losing half of its revenue overnight. So we were delighted when he shot us an email saying that he not only had the business recovered and hit all-time revenue, but he was trying out new things. And his reasons for doing so may not be so unfamiliar to agency owners listening to the pod, but they include an in-house startup studio incubator. And interestingly, one of his motivations for doing this is to provide an incentive to his staff in this incredibly competitive hiring market. Many agency owners will know, Ian, and we know this from running DJ, that it's typically a little harder to hire for agencies than it is for product companies or software companies. He's also started a podcast called If I Was Starting Today and is developing a direct-to-consumer product. So this is a very typical path. You build that seven-figure agency, and then you're looking for ways to diversify into product. So lots of TMBA themes to touch on this one. Hopefully, you can find something in here that resonates with your journey. So let's get moving. I'm Jim Huffman. I have a growth marketing agency called Growth Hit, but we're also, when we grow up, we want to have a startup studio. We just launched that this year. And so it, it's pretty fun, but we'll see if that's a good use of our profits to start other companies or if I should have gone and bought a boat or something. So the idea of a startup studio is essentially one of the classic stair steps of the agency business model, which is you use your growth services to incubate your own companies. Is that right? You, you nailed it. Um, the stair set model, Nathan Berry has the ladders of wealth creation because the agency model is great for learning and you can make cash. But as far as making an asset you can sell, it's not the best use of time. And so the goal is to graduate from selling our time for money to make a product that we could sell, which could be an e-product, a physical product or the holy grail, right? Which would be software as a service SaaS. And, and that's kind of the goal is 
trying to take our profits and to go up to that next rung to see if we can create other businesses. Do you see it as in any way a test of your agency's prowess to be able to do this? If you guys are good marketers, isn't that the power position? Shouldn't you be able to find a good product and go market it excellently? Honestly, 100%. We're like, okay, if we're so good, why are we growing other people's products or companies when we should be growing our own? And so that's what we're really trying to put to the test because we have some clients who are like, man, I wish they'd kind of get out of our way. I wish I could just run with this. And so we'll see. We haven't proven we know what we're doing with operations or manufacturing or building technology. So that's what we're, we're really trying to put to the test is to grow our own stuff. Now, why this growth studio, you have a challenge where you want to, you're starting a DTC startup. When we talk about that, we'll talk about your SaaS ideas. But last time I talked to you, you were coming off strong off of COVID. I was a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you guys have done great through the pandemic. You've achieved $2 million in revenue last year. What is the argument for just saying, why don't you get it to three or four this year? Yeah. I think if you're just a business on a spreadsheet, that would be the smart move. And for context, like pre-COVID, we thought it was going well. COVID hit. Our agency lost half its business in 48 hours. And then, yeah, we got lucky. We had some tailwinds because as we focus on e-commerce companies and online businesses, you know, everyone went online. So we got to ride that wave. And it's great. We got to grow and like pay people well. But if we take a step back and go to our, our holy father, Tim Ferriss and lifestyle design, I find myself in this lifestyle where, man, I'm on a lot of Zooms and I'm putting out a lot of fires. And we didn't necessarily start this agency to build some hundred person firm where I'm managing people like we're builders, we're creators. And so we're like, is all growth good? It's like, actually, if we can be be this boutique shop that stops at this phase or at this level, and we have really good quality people, we can start to put resources into these other things. So that was something that, to be honest, even from the very beginning, my business partner and I, we we kind of decided on that. We didn't want to make something huge. We wanted to build other things. I want to share something with you. I don't think I've ever said on the podcast before, but it's become abundantly clear to me running Dynamite Jobs over the last 12 months. And there might be something that plays into this whole strategy here. If a candidate, an average candidate sees two jobs on a job board, and one of them is for a DTC company or a SaaS company or an e-commerce company, and the other job is for an agency they are much less likely to apply to the agency. I'm wondering if you can tell us from your experience why that might be the case. Could you speculate why these candidates don't want to apply for agencies and what that looks like from the inside? Well, first, agencies have a bad rap. It's easy to hate agencies. I hate agencies and I have an agency. There's this this stereotype. And it's so funny because I was talking to my wife about it because we had this one client. We're just killing it. We're doing such a good job. Amazing landing pages ads. We've improved their performance. We did make a mistake that like got caught with QA and it's like end of the world. And I was like, man, they hate us because we're an agency. But if that was Tom who made that mistake, their employee they hired and and trained, Tom would be cool. They'd be at the happy hour patting his back. But for us, it's like our butts on the line. And so there's a stigma with agencies. Also, the, the lifestyle of an agency is you're essentially it's the service business. In addition to doing the work, you have to serve clients and be very hospitable and you have to put out fires and be over accommodating. And, and that isn't sustainable. That can be exhausting. So I, I definitely get that. I 
I don't know if people also are excited about these other ones because maybe there's more upside if there's equity involved in stock options. That's something that can be hard to compete with whenever I'm trying to get talent. That's actually why we launched the Startup Studio. One, because we want to do it, but two, to get the best talent that are entrepreneurs. They're doing the agency with us knowing that they want to jump onto something that we're building. One aside, I've used Dynamite Jobs twice already for hires. You guys do an awesome job. And the reason is everyone that we've gotten there is this kind of like remote worker entrepreneur that wants to do something different. And when we we have a different mindset because we don't work Mondays, don't work Fridays with clients. We have these side hustles <laughs> and you guys get the right person. You're almost like a culture filter for growth hit. If you need help getting control of your email inbox, this is for you. That's right. This episode is brought to you by the team at MailmanHQ.com. It's a Gmail plugin that lets you decide when and what emails land in your inbox. Many of our listeners spend a huge portion of their days inside of their inbox. And if you're one of them, pay close attention to the next 30 seconds. See, Mailman allows you to set up your own emailing schedule on both your personal and work Gmail accounts such that all incoming emails are collected and delivered to your inbox as per the schedule you set up that's in batches so nothing drops in between. Now, what about those urgent emails? Don't worry, Mailman lets you configure your VIPs so their emails will land in your inbox immediately so you can respond and make progress in your business. And there's so much more too. So get a defender and an ally in your inbox. Get Mailman. Sign up for a free account over at mailmanhq.com slash tropical MBA. If you use that link and decide to upgrade to a paid plan, you'll get 30% off your first year via this link. So here it is again, mailmanhq.com slash tropical MBA. Thanks to the team at Mailman HQ for sponsoring the show. Go give them a try. Give them a look. Get ahead on your inbox. Again, that's mailmanhq.com slash tropical MBA. What do you make of uh, entrepreneurship? How do you define it? And is this just the next way to like create some kind of phantom motivation for people? What is it uh, from your perspective? I say phantom because phantom equity or whatever. It's potentially a path to like allow really good team players and employees to make their own decisions and carve their own path with the company, maybe without taking on some of that initial risk. Obviously, the reward could not be as big from that, but it's a path just because you see this movement of employees to freelancers to contractors, but maybe they don't want to go all in on starting their own thing. So how can you create this hybrid that meets those people where they're at? We're like, hey, I want to work remote. I want to like do my own thing, but I'm down to have this structure. So it's like, okay, that's what you care about. Let me design a path for that. It's like, we need the agency work to get done. We need this. But by the way, we have these ideas. We have a budget to allocate to that. If you have a good idea and you want to be a part of it, you can push that. And if that becomes something, then you have a significant stake in it. However, we still have some bumpers or guardrails for you where you have a whole growth team at your back. You're getting paid. Yeah, you're getting paid <laughs> cash money, right? I yeah. mean, we've, we've all spent years not getting paid in this game. And so it's very real to get that paycheck. So I was a guy, I worked at startups, and I worked for this thing called equity, stock options. And you're taking a low salary. And I did that for a while. And then when I started the agency, I was like, forget the equity. Like, I've got a, a wife. I'm having a baby. It's time to, like, put some money in the bank. And so having to make that sacrifice 
It's like, is it worth it? Is it, is it not? Because one like benefit of like starting an agency, we're not going to be striped. We're not going to be a billion dollars, but you can pay people well out of the gate. And so our overall like growth of what we're doing could be much slower, but maybe we're not having to take those sacrifices. We're not having to take those big risks because we're, we're going at a slower pace, which by the way, that's not a very fun book to read. If you're like going yeah. back and look at the biography, like, oh, the slow growth path of of Jim Huffman, you know, sign me up for that. <laughs> you know, you want the the story of like, you know, I ate ramen for five years, I slept on a couch, and now I'm the CEO of Alibaba. That's what people want to see. You actually have to earn a spot to be in the startup studio. If you prove yourself with clients, then you could be thrown work there and eventually like work to get uh, a piece of that pie. Because we want it to be something that people are really fired up to be a part of because we we have a slack channel that has a million half-baked bad ideas that we send through (laughs) all the time we're like okay we should probably create a rubric for how we even decide if this is worth our time because our time is everybody's time is super limited so we send through these ideas again we've only validated two so we're very early at this and one quick aside like we're doing a startup studio probably from a dumb path and that we have no big funds of money. You look at startup studios like Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle or Atomic VC in Miami, they have huge budgets. We're trying to do this ourselves, so it changes the types of opportunities we can focus on because they kind of need, need to be making money out of the gate or not involve a lot of capital investment. So as we're looking at ideas coming in, we're scoring it based on that like capital required. We're looking at, is this actually a problem or just a cool idea? Because we have to go after problems, meaning it's a pain point that someone will, will pay money to solve. The other one is, do we as an agency, a growth agency, have an unfair advantage? We want tailwinds as far as, is this something in 10 years is going to get bigger and bigger? We want to have a potential moat, meaning... Do we have a brand as a moat? Is it stickiness? Is it local monopoly? Like, what is that moat that you could have? And then finally, this is one my partner put on, which was really smart, but it's like, is this something you want to commit your next 10 years to? Because these ideas take a long time. And I get excited about something for two days. And then in two weeks, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do a a D2C septic tank company. That's a horrible idea, which by the way, was one of the ideas that we had. So that's kind of like how we we score the ideas. And I do think this idea of entrepreneurship, I think it's not gimmicky at all. I think actually fleshing it out and helping candidates understand what it is has potential like a lot of value for founders that are looking to hire. One of the ways I've tried to formulate it is I think an entrepreneur is someone who cares more about the project and the company than their own job in it. And and we were just talking about this earlier with a founder. He was describing why he was so happy, just fine to walk away from Facebook. And he was basically like, well, because what I wanted was to do things that make a difference at my desk. You talked about jobs and employers at DJ being different. I think that that's a big part of it. In fact, I took a note during this conversation, like that's meaningful. It's meaningful that you're actually like seeing the bricks move and pile up. Like that's something that people really value in their careers. I don't know about you. I'd be interested to see how you do it for Dynamite Jobs. But like with Growth Hit, we have to do it. With our startup studio, we have to do that as a competitive advantage to get good talent. Because if I'm going to get the creative director that I have, who she could go work anywhere, I have to create a unique path where it's like, you want to be an entrepreneur, uh, a business owner? Done. Let's make that path for you together and be a part of that. Because if not, she could go work at big tech company, get amazing stock options and go down that path. 
So we do it because we have to. And it's it happens to align with what we care about and want to do. The reason I think that's so cool and interesting is we just did a podcast a few weeks ago where Ian and I were basically like, this post-pandemic reality of hiring for remote companies, it, it's been very bad for us. It's been bad for you. It's been bad for me. Our staffing costs have gone way up. And the reality I think that we finally faced was some shoe has to drop. Like you have to pay a lot more. You have to create a much more compelling, co- you have to do something. You have to start hiring people in different countries. Choose your poison. And it sounds like what you've picked is to create a more compelling employee experience. Yeah, Nathan Barry had this tweet storm around, are you remote first or remote forced? Because companies like us, <laughs> we, we were remote first, right? And then all of a sudden pandemic happens and everybody's a remote company, but it's forced. Right. But it kills us because like, oh man, it's like that was our competitive advantage and it's going away. Now it's like leaning into that even more like remote first, work on your own, entrepreneur, like throw t-shirts at people. What more can we do to get talent? It's it's tough. But like the thing that you all have, I mean, you all already have a brand and a culture that people know about. They feel like they they know you from the podcast. So that has to be a, a nice advantage when wanting to get talent. So Jim has offered some interesting thoughts about a strategy for attracting and retaining great team members in this extremely competitive market, in part by offering them an opportunity to develop creative projects within an internal startup studio. But as he says, it's pretty early days there. So I'm interested to know how Jim plans to evolve growth hits, bread and butter business, which is marketing agency work. The promise of growth hit was always that y'all were a little bit more productized as you've grown in revenue. Have you found that you've been doing more bespoke work for your clients or how have things changed with that next million? Last time we talked to you were at that first million. Now we're talking multiple seven figures. Oh man, you're, you're hitting on a touchy subject right now. Um, let me preface something I remember strong and sticky from our last conversation was you're saying, I'm a San Francisco marketer. I'm a boss. I worked at a bunch of San Francisco startups. I give that to my staff or we have this world-class productized marketing funnels for your company. But if you hire somebody like me, I'm going to charge you 175. Now, who knows, Jim, you court a lot of money. Come work with Growth Hit. We'll only charge you seven, eight, nine thousand bucks a month. And it's comfy. It's a lot less than you'd spend on a full-time marketer. And now you got a team working for you. That was a really good sales pitch. Would you come take our position there? Um, if you replace everything I said about marketing and you put it in hiring and recruiting, that's essentially what we do at DJ. So we yeah. are a growth hit version. And so I'm genuinely curious because you know we did half a million dollars in sales our first year of offering services. And now I'm thinking about what's that next half a million going to look like? Yeah, I think there's two paths and we're kind of at the fork in the road on the ways to do that. And I, I can talk about how we're approaching that. One is bigger clients, bigger retainers. It's that simple. Like we've been fortunate to get some that are like over 20 grand per month. One potential issue that comes with that is they can they can be more demanding and you get outside of what you're great at and might have to do more custom work, which makes an agency hard to scale. But if they're paying a big retainer, then it's worth it. So we've been putting big prices on those. The other option for growth is exactly what you're saying. Productize as much as you can and sell that. That way you can scale it and train people to help you do that. And then still have 
10 to 20% that is custom, that is you going to the calls and offering the strategic guidance, but your execution is what is tried and true and standardized. So what really helped us go honestly from like 600,000 to like 1.4.5 was the productize route. We got lucky in that we got some really big clients that helped us go to that next level, but it's made it a little crazy on the inside as we're figuring out like building systems and hiring. And we've kind of honed in on, we're only going to take on those big whales if it makes sense. If not, we like going the more tried and true route because it's a better lifestyle and we know we can you know, deliver on the results that we're promising. You said it's a potentially sticky topic. Why is that? Well, just because we struggle with that. It, it's hard when you see these like big opportunities come in. We're like, crap, this is going to be custom. This might burn out my team, but wow, it'd be great to have their logo on our website and it could be a cool project. Whereas my CEO, who's much smarter than me, is always like, only do it if it falls into this category. We got to play the long game. We got to play to scale. But I get shiny object syndrome. I'm the one on the sales call. So it's... um it's a little of give and take. Because you know you can do it. Yeah, but I know it's. I'm selling myself, though. It's like, crap, I've got to be involved in this, but it'll be great for the business. But then it takes away from the startup studio, right? It's the, the dilemma we have as we're trying to do multiple things. Tell me about the DDC brand. Are you willing to talk about what the product is yet? or Sure. If anybody wants to go buy it, 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 it kind of exists. We can talk about that. <laughs> I saw negative $6,000 on your Twitter account. Yeah, so. that's, that's going to work really well. Yeah, so we we work in public. We share all this stuff. So it stemmed from a problem that I had, which um, I have, I guess you could say, longer hair. Not satisfied with the products that I use. I've been stealing my wife's dry shampoo, and I don't like it because you pour powder on your hair. And it's like you have powdered sugar on your hair. It gets on your, your vest or whatever you're wearing. And so like, there's gotta be something better. So I was like, this should be in pomade form. So a dumb guy like myself can use it. So we don't work with a manufacturer to make it. But meanwhile, let's try and validate this. So we're, we're very lucky in that we have a really talented creative director on our team who built a brand. So we built a brand called Handsome Chaos. We stood up a Shopify website. We built a wait list. We were able to get a thousand people on the wait list. We started driving traffic to it with a product that does not exist. And we sold 10 of them. And then I immediately told the people, I'm so sorry, this product does not exist, but I'd love to give you one once it's live. And so we're seeing some signals. I'm not going to say we have anything that's meaningful, but we're seeing signals that this idea of like a dry shampoo pomade for men could work. But now we've got to deliver on manufacturing. We're in like the 11th iteration. We've been working on it for seven months. It's taking twice as long as I thought. But why? Because um, I'm very new to manufacturing. And so I have no clue what I'm doing. You say like you're, you want to experiment with a, a SaaS company next. And isn't it even harder to build a SaaS company than a consumer good? And it requires capital and it requires a technical partner. So we've looked at that two different ways. One, could we acquire a SaaS that is on the cusp of product market fit is one option. The second is, and this is the path we're going, we're launching a productized service to deliver on the value of the SaaS, to validate it, and then hopefully fund making the SaaS because we don't have enough time to go to coding school and, and figure out that we'd be here for way too long if it was dependent on me to do that. So that's the path that we're thinking. And for us, we're trying to solve our own problem where we, um, I don't know if you saw this, but Canva is doing something like over a billion dollars in revenue. Like it's insane how big that company is. So if you're a business owner or a marketer and you want to make 
an email newsletter or a, a social media post, they have a really robust library of creative assets and templates for you to make visual images or videos to use for marketing purposes or whatever that would be. And it's very broad. So we're like, okay, how do you essentially decouple that? How do you find a niche of it that could be a big opportunity? And for us as a growth agency that does CRO work, how do we do conversion-based design? Because we we get inherited so many websites and ads and emails that look beautiful, but do not convert. So we're like, what if we had this offering that was product size services for designs that convert, whether it's for landing page design for e-com, for a SaaS pricing page, for email newsletter, or for social ads, because we do quite a bit there. As an agency, we are very good at process and system. So it's kind of like, okay, there's an unfair advantage we have. We have this knowledge of assets that convert. We're good at process and systems. We're weak at tech. So let's lean in there. I just want to give a big thanks to all of you who listened to ads like this and went on over to dynamitejobs.com to see what we've got going on over there. Because of that, we've helped place hundreds of qualified remote professionals in your companies last year. And for this holiday season, many of you are gearing up your operation for continued growth in 2022. And to help you do it, we've got three exciting options for you to explore. The first is our entirely new hiring platform with a job post dashboard that allows you to repost and promote anytime. We've got a growing list of features there, including intelligent promotion options to help you get the maximum amount of applications. We've also got our done for you service. If you're sick of sorting, assessing, and interviewing, you can hire our senior recruiting staff to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. They are experienced at identifying trajectory, alignment, salary fit, and much more. And the best part is it's a flat fee. If you're hiring multiple times in 2022, we're offering bundles with steep discounts. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and book a call to hear about that. And finally, we offer contract recruiting. That's right, a zero risk hiring option. If you don't really know about the long-term fit, or if you're looking for a partner to help take care of the legalities of hiring contractors, we can do that for a monthly fee for the contractors that you bring on board. So let's grow together. If you're looking to grow your remote business, book a call with our team and find out today how Dynamite Jobs can help. You can find out about this and much more over at dynamitejobs.com slash remote recruiting. Having like a spreadsheet to like, or different categories to evaluate business ideas is very interesting to me. I've heard a few people venture what their categories are and they rate them and they test and things. Two interesting ones that pop up is like, how fast to fail. I think that that's like an interesting one. And then another one that really jumps out to me in your case would be, say you started a DTC brand that was like very adjacent, but somehow not threatening to your best client. Now, all of a sudden you've got all these products around that, that your agency could do 40. You could imagine an agency doing eight figures if you had that. Cause we all know brands that do that where it's like, look what I did with this. The other thing is like, which is this last idea has a lot of these involved where you're backfilling in your best services with product and efficiency. I feel like that has a ton of value that if, if I was a business coach, I might be like, man, you, you're delivering $2 million of value right now. And imagine if we backfilled those revenue streams with products that made the value deliver faster. It sounds like your second idea is right in line with that. 
No, you're exactly right. And we get so many leads of founders at different phases of their growth journey. And we're just monetizing it one. It's like we think we could add value earlier at these other phases. So that's another thought with the productized service. Even to like honestly promote that, we're doing stuff around an e-product that's like a there's so many growth courses for marketers. We're doing one for founders that aren't raising money because people are like, I want to grow, but I don't have a budget. What do I do? So we're leaning into that as well. But one call out that you said that I think is really smart is this idea of time. The worst thing you can do, and I, I know because I've done this, is you have an idea and you let it take this long, slow death. I've looked like, oh, I'm kind of working on, I'm kind of doing this. And then three years later, your friend checks in and it's still that same update. One thing that we're talking about is how do we get really decisive with this, really get focused in these sprints so within three months to nine months, we can say our baby's ugly or pretty and we decide if we move on or not. And that's something that we're trying to be really intentional with is just being decisive and not making decision by indecision. So one final question, Jim, for you, let's frame the question up that is existential question of your podcast, which is if you were going to start an agency, a fresh conception, if you're a listener to this show you have a skill set, what would you advise to them? How should they approach an agency based on the success that you've seen? What can they learn from you? Well, if you were starting today, I would not go after a category that already has incumbents or people that have been in it for 10 years or plus. So a Facebook ad agency or an SEO agency, it's going to be too competitive, especially if you're trying to be premium. I would first position yourself a bit something that's emerging where you can be positioned as a thought leader so you can shortcut the competition. So let's say TikTok just launches, you're a TikTok ad agency. Say you're um, we're an Airtable agency that just does this for like big SaaS companies. So I would bolt onto something that's new and emerging as one idea. The other path you could go is go so niche because it's your specialty where it's not a big audience, but you're the best in it. Like we only do pricing pages for SaaS companies and that's it. So here's a trap most people fall into is you're going to try and do everything, everybody, because you're not going to want to say no to a retainer or budget. Fight that urge and just try and specialize and niche down. And as quickly as possible, I would think through hiring a project manager, get your systems in place because then you'll be able to scale and then figure out how you drive the traffic. One of the best things that we did way too late was focusing on operations and a project manager. And, and that's how um, we went from six figures to seven figures. Yeah. I mean, one of the, it's so underrated how difficult it is to sell into yourself. So even if it's unconscious, if you know that you're going to be doing some of that delivery, you're not going to sell as well. Oh, Totally. Actually, I have a question for you. I don't know about you, but I heard this quote where the strength of the CEO is the weakness of the company. And it has really held true for us where I'm like the marketer and like I, I sell the stuff and I, I'm good at that for growth, but our company's really not good at it. And it's held us back with growth. And it's something that I'm trying to have good self-awareness around where, hey, what am I good at? And how is that impacting the company in a negative way? And how many team members do you have right now? Uh, we have 17. Yeah. So uh, Vern Harnish in the Rockefeller Habits writes that this is the major problem for firms between 11 and 50 employees. I believe it's like 10 and 50, some kind of oddly specific number. That, and, and that was his quote. I got that from him many years ago. And I've seen the pattern time and time again. It makes sense. You can imagine like the shadow 
that you cast as a force, especially in an agency where it's based around some powerful skill set or set of relationships that you have, that that wouldn't be the first thing that you backfill when you go to do hiring. Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, I'm glad we got to have this talk. It's quite wide ranging and it's pretty cool how you're morphing this agency into it, a startup studio. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it. So I hope you'll come back and visit us soon, Jim. Awesome. Yeah. Once we get 10 companies, we'll come back. They'll report on it. <laughs> Big shout out to Jim Huffman. As Jim mentioned, he posts a lot about what he's up to, the highs and low, building in public, so to speak, on his Twitter handle at Jim W. Huffman. And do check out his own new pod, If I Was Starting Today. Boss man, I got to ask you, if you were starting today, what would you do? Crypto? JPEGs? <laughs> I don't know. Not not right now. I mean, yeah, maybe DeFi. Uh <laughs> It's a good question. One of the things I think about, Dan, is uh, not necessarily what I would do, but when I would do it. Like uh, maybe starting a little bit earlier, actually. Mm. You know, think about like my time in school. Um, I think about like some of the jobs that I had. And like, I think about how I could have been earning and like building an asset earlier, like, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, I think that kids these days, they have access to so much information. It's like uh, growing up, like you had access to like your family's friends. And like, if none of them were entrepreneurs, like you had no frame of reference, which I think was the case with uh, you and I. So now you can see all these people doing these amazing things on the internet. So if I was starting today, I think my answer would just simply be, I would start earlier. One of the things that's occurred to me is I agree with that. Definitely. Like there's an opportunity to own things that are hyper small, right? Even if it's like an NFT or like a crypto token or a website, yeah. like these are things that you can own uh, and, and like just like feel that sense of investment and asset. One of the things I thought of is a little bit in the opposite direction, Ian, is if I were starting again today, I think I might hang on to my job for a little bit longer in part because I think I could have a much better job. Like the cost of switching jobs and careers was so enormously high when we started our first business that we were kind of locked into what we had. We were even to move to a new city would wipe, would devastate me financially at the time. But now you can go to a site like DJ and you can target in on types of founders, types of incorporations, types of product, types of industry, and really find a vehicle for you to grow your skill set and your network directly in the direction you want to go in your career. So the costs have gone way down. We talk about geographic advantage for founders all the time. But now as a candidate, you don't have to move anywhere except intellectually. You can sit in front of your laptop and join a new crew. When companies get bigger, you join a company. But when the companies are small and doing interesting stuff, you're joining like a rock band. You're joining a team. And that's something special and exciting. So I might have spent a little bit more time in that team environment, Ian, really building a kick-ass skill set so that I can have a faster exit velocity when I do start my first business. It's true. And it's interesting, like the decoupling of location, income, and uh, your job. You know, it's like location and the job and the income, they were so intertwined. And like in the last like five years, they've just completely uh, blown apart. So now you have this opportunity to basically live where you want to live and work on the things that you want to work on which is uh, kind of mind-blowing if you would have told uh, 18-year-old me and you that that was an option. Yeah, I mean, imagine this, for example. Like my last job, I was making a lot of money, 
learning about a skill set that I wasn't super passionate about or that I knew like wasn't the long-term thing. So why not move to Lisbon or Mexico City and start beating down the doors of founders doing really interesting things in like digital publishing or in community space or all these sorts of remote topics we're super passionate about and say, hey, I work in Mexico City. I'll work for you for a month for free. Here's what I can do to improve your business. And if there's any scraps on the table at the end, maybe you can give me a contractor role or whatever. Not think within four to eight weeks you could prove yourself as valuable to a company that you're passionate about. I think it's an amazing opportunity. That's something I'd like to think I would have taken advantage of. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks to Jim Huffman. Certainly some amazing pedigree himself leveraged his career to build an amazing skill set and an amazing company. We appreciate him dropping by the show today. That's it for us. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as always. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.